the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money invested in more. I recently was thinking kind of a cause and effect idea when you hear about stores like Fry's that go down and go out of business quickly. My first thought is, well, that's probably good news for Best Buy. And that's probably an unhealthy thought because maybe I should mourn the death of the company before I go, well, that's probably good news for Amazon or what have you. Um, I always see it. I, 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 it's really kind of depressing to be quite honest with you as a young person, I became fascinated with stocks, corporations, technology in particular. And one of the very first ones was Intel. Now Intel, 40 years later, and it's been in my life for 40 years. That's a long time. They're still around. They don't feel as relevant, but something tells me if they stop making CPUs, the world would notice, but they don't feel very relevant, do they? They missed the mobile semiconductor. Let's talk about what they did well. Intel is the most popular semiconductor company in the world. Their brand is, you, you say the word, you know what we're talking about. It goes all the way back to the year. I don't, I gotta be careful what, how I mark myself. It goes all the way back to 1968 when a physicist, Robert Noyce, and chemist Gordon Moore met at Shockley Semiconductor Laboratories where they worked together and they later joined hands and started a semiconductor company themselves. Intel was initially named by uh, was it originally named as a company Moore Noise. It was their last names. And you're like, oh, that's not good. Um, and when you look at it, it reads more noise. So they had to change the name, right? So they changed the name to NM Electronics. Again, keeping their names and the initials. After a year with that name, they're like, that name stinks. And they come up with Intel. Intel is a short form of integrated circuits or integrated electronics. I'm sorry. Um, but they had to pay a hotel chain because there was a hotel chain called Intelco. How much do you think Intelco got for giving up their name? $15,000. That name now, when I say it, it means something to you. Branding's super powerful. Uh, for years, uh, I've tried to come up with a better name for the show than Rob Black and Your Money. But it's been branded that way. Now, it's, it's not a multi-billion dollar brand, but it certainly has some value. So naming issues are, are critically important. Don't overlook that step. 
there's a museum now. Intel has a museum which has different artifacts and interesting facts about the company. Um, that to me sounds like a fun day. I know you're saying not that fun, right? The museum was started in the early 1980s. It was open to the public in 1992. And again, when you've been around as long as they have, they, they've been at the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm almost distressed that I don't talk about them on a daily basis uh, because they once were that important. I've owned shares of Intel in my lifetime. Um, directly, it's probably honestly been 20 years, maybe even longer. So it's, it's a company I'm terribly familiar with. Um, but has the torch been passed? It probably has. Uh, through the years and years of different CEOs, some of them got it right, some of them got it wrong. Some of their marketing has been some of their best work. I remember the 1990s, they had an ad campaign called Intel Inside. And essentially, it was a better semiconductor than Cyrix or AMD made. And AMD was the number two behind Intel, and Cyrix was the number three behind AMD. And no one knows it was the number four. It tells you that the ecology is pretty huge there. When IBM made the decision to not make semiconductors for their computer business, and they also made a decision to not make software for their computer business, they outsourced it. Microsoft got the software outsourcing in the 70s. Intel got the semiconductors outsourcing. Um, Intel wouldn't be the company it is today if they didn't have those deals in place. Windows wouldn't be the company they, they are today if they didn't have that Wintel, which was the Windows plus the Intel combination. And then they were so successful that they almost got funny with it. Remember the uh, Buddy people? Where they're marketing radio uh, television commercials. I, mean, I guess radio commercials as well. Like did the, do, 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 the, the little jingle. And it was Intel inside. They were so dominant in the 80s and 90s that they were dominating the, they were marketing that they were dominant that there really isn't another choice and if you want the best product you use them pretty interesting compared to how you see tech products marketed today but uh, technicians and when they make semiconductors have to wear bunny suits to enter clean rooms um, and Intel had a whole ad campaign on that which to me jumps towards the Apple when they had the silhouette dancers the black silhouette dancers and you all know what I'm talking about So Intel watches were a thing in 1972. Now, that's a little bit before my time. Um, but it shows you where as a semiconductor company, they tried to come up with a new product. In 1978, when prices of watches went down to 10 bucks for a digital watch, th there was no more value in it because Intel is a victim of their own success of smaller, cheaper, faster. They work in the most competitive industry in the world. Technology, smaller, cheaper, faster. Uh, take a look at Apple. Today they're coming up with an M1 chip. Next year it'll be an M2 chip. The year after that it'll be an M3 chip. The year after that an M4 chip. And that M1 chip devalues itself just because it's not smaller. It's definitely cheaper, but it's not faster. So in 1971, Intel did something great. They came up with a 4004 microprocessor. Fingernail-sized, but offered the same computing power as the ENIAC supercomputer. And it was a, a just a, tran a transistor count play. 
how many more transistors can we get embedded on a semiconductor? By 1976, Intel launched the world's first single board computer. So it was the ISBC, I think it was the 8010. Um, and then microprocessors, and then the branding of Intel inside. Um, the first year that they were uh, financially solvent, uh, viable, they made $2,600. $2,600 in a whole year selling semiconductors. So they go public in 1971. They raised $6.8 million. Today, you'll see companies raise $25 billion easily. Um, how much money was left on the table? Was it imperfectly priced? Is it over? I don't know. I personally don't see a big catalyst there, but I, I know that they pay a dividend, and they're kind of a dividend achiever. They're well known for being a tech play without a lot of growth, but a dividend. Is that enough to get you into it, or do you look at what Qualcomm's doing? Do you look at what AMD is doing? Do you look at what NVIDIA is doing? Is their 40 years over at Intel? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all all things financial money investing and more. I don't know of any really great software right now that helps identify all the subscriptions you have. I know every couple of years there's an app that comes through that'll scan your budget. I don't know how comfortable you're going to be putting your banking numbers into it and or not. Um, but I think if we've learned one thing, it's that we're consuming media differently every five to 10 years of our life, right? Is that fair to say? Or am I being a little bit rude? Um, we got a lot more subscriptions. We've probably learned that subscriptions are <clears throat> pretty random. So Wall Street loves them, though. And let me give you a little bit chit-chat on this. If you can get a recurring business model that you're getting a monthly payment from a customer, it's pretty good. It doesn't always work out that well. But you saw a company like America Online – which turned into probably one of the biggest joke investments of all time. At its point, it was the internet. I've recently talked about Intel, and at its heyday, it was um, the Tesla of the computing world. It was the, everyone wanted to be them. But uh, moving this forward ever so slightly, um, AOL, it became kind of a meme before there was memes, AOL, where you kind of got onto their version of the internet, where their control rooms, their news were all curated for you. Ah, to go back to those days. How good of a business model was it? You would open your mailbox probably once every two weeks, every 10 days, there would be a disk for America online, one free month or three free months of the service. And you take the CD out, you boot it up in your computer, and you got three free months of the service. Uh, that's how successful it was. And that's how much Wall Street loved that idea, that they were able to go out and buy Time Warner. 
which is fascinating because if you look at Apple Computer today or Apple, they dropped the name computer. If you look at Apple Corporation, everyone looks at them and go, why didn't you buy Netflix? This was a no-brainer. People were going to be watching media on your phones and your iPads and your hardware. It was a no-brainer. Same thing with AOL. They saw Time Warner and they said content's going to be the king. But AOL was more of a service provider. The road versus the tolls on the road. The road versus the car. Which one do you invest in? Um, AOL got it right. They, they acquired Time Warner and it was considered the worst merger ever. There was no corporate culture. You had a West Coast kind of mentality and an East Coast kind of mentality. And I, I don't know if you go with Biggie and Tupac or I don't know who your East Coast, West Coast feud is. Maybe it's the Celtics Lakers of bad culture. But Wall Street loved that subscription model. And it, when you see it, you could, you could kind of see the, the beauty of it when you make a million things or a billion things. And you get a recurring revenue model. Apple is basically been driven its stock in the last two or three years by service revenue stories. Oh, we're going to come up with Apple Music. Oh, you won't, you won't beep Spotify. And the next thing you know, they've got 20 million plus people spending 10 to $15 a month every single month. Now, again, that's not the trappings that that – make for the the only part of the successful investment there the trappings are it's a high margin business and it keeps you in the ecology so the sooner you start thinking of technology in an ecology the better in my opinion um in the jungle the mighty jungle the lion sleeps tonight there's the cpus over in one corner there's the gpus there's the semiconductor equipment manufacturers the people who could put together the phones there's that you can kind of see how the ecology works out. And Apple, I hope they don't – well, I'm not doing a business strategy segment here. It will be interesting to see how they're able to continue to spend their money, to continue to keep them to keep you in their ecology. I would like Apple to buy Nintendo so that in five to ten years from now we're going, why didn't they buy Nintendo? Like I started the segment of why didn't America – oh, I didn't – Apple by Netflix. They could have got it for $5 billion, which is like cash flow. That's chump change for a company like Apple. It's it's very small. When they pull in $90 plus billion in profit and they have all that cash sitting in cash, then you see what has happened to the stock price of Netflix in the last 10 years. You're like, oh, they made a mistake. They did, and they, it was in their own backyard, but it happens all the time of people woulda, coulda, shoulda, and then that business model gets too big and it can survive on its own. Down the road, do I think Apple will make a strike on a, a movie theater, uh, <clears throat> a studio, movie studio? Yes, I do. Um, so if you're trying to think like I think, you would want to brush up on publicly traded movie studios, or maybe you can get a private one. Uh, for years, there was a company called United, and they made movies, um, and they just haven't been much of anything. But they still have some titles out there, and they still have a library. Would that be a good act? No, 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 no. 
but I want you to start thinking about like where the value is in your company and how do they maintain it for the long term. Because I did a segment on Intel that they've kind of lost their edge in the street view. They could have done the acquisitions that kept them alive and relevant. They didn't. Well, they're alive and they're relevant, but they could have been they could have been something. I could have been a contender dad. Anyhow, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Uh, take a look at some of your stocks this week and just think about them. Have a little free association with what do you like about them and what do you dislike. Where would you like to see them go? Or the stock market? It doesn't have any stocks. This is a stock junkie show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. He will be back regularly scheduled tomorrow, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, in theory. Elon Musk said something curious today, and it, it's a reminder of, for lack of a better word, it's a reminder of how do you pick stocks? Elon Musk said he's going to quit Twitter. And instantly I was like, that's probably a good thing in the short term because I've been seeing too many tweets mentioning publicly traded companies. Whether it's over the weekend, Elon Musk got out and talked to the CEO of Robinhood and asked why did he stop honoring the buys of GameStop. After Elon Musk mysteriously tweeted something like Game Stunk, which was a message to the GameStoppers to keep it up, kill the shorts. Tesla's had a problem with shorts for a long period of time. Some would say what's happened to GameStop was a quick, fast version of what has happened to Tesla over the last five years, where people like me have doubted the ability for Tesla to earn money, and then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, they did it. And while they were losing money, the thought was they're going to have to raise money, and they're going to hurt shareholders in the process. So he's now on a campaign of kind of showing shorts how to play the game. He's put Bitcoin on the map recently. He's put GameStop, Etsy, Dogecoin, Signal Advance, um, and Etsy. Eddie needs to stop doing it. He needs to be the CEO of Tesla and the CEO of SpaceX and stop manipulating stocks from a distance in a humorous manner. It's very similar to him giving his own Tesla share price target 420, which is an immature way of saying marijuana. Do I like Elon Musk? I do. Do I think he's creative? I do. Do I think he's a great CEO? I'm still being convinced of that. But he has the ability to move stocks. Bitcoin up 17% in a day with a tweet. Same thing with GameStop. Surged 60% in half-hour tradings after he said Game Stunk with a link to Wall Street Bets. 
next morning the stock skyrocketed at 348%. A lot of people who are millennials look at Elon Musk and maybe even Jeff Bezos as the Steve Jobs and Warren Buffett of the 21st century. For lack of a better term or phrase, go with that and you'll have learned something. Elon Musk is the world's second richest man. He's also got the golden touch when it comes to picking stocks. I would just be very, very cautious. Speaking of Tesla, they're recalling 134,000 Model X and Model S cars with faulty touchscreens. Recall affects cars with 8 gigabyte media cards manufactured before March 2018. Last month, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration asked Tesla to recall the vehicles. So that's going to be a hit to Tesla, but is a hit worth buying? And the answer is typically not. Because the investment lesson is, and in the six o'clock hour of New Focus on Wealth, we tend to talk a lot of strategies and tips. And one of the strategies and tips that I can throw out there for you is that you think it's bad news, but then you forget companies have insurance. Tesla will upgrade free of charge the EMMC on your vehicle with an enhanced 64 gigabyte card versus the 8 gigabyte card that's in it. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a tough repair. And in fact, it may give you a reason to visit a showroom and see a new version of a Model X. As Tesla has been putting a big push on being able to service their vehicles live in store, which is a weird thing to say because when I say in store, their repair centers haven't really been repair centers up until recently. And now you can get your body work done at a Tesla service center, which again, one of the advantage Tesla has is they didn't walk into a lot of legacy ways of doing business. So the Fords and the General Motors kind of came up with these manufacturing plants that ultimately were unionized. Tesla hasn't unionized. That's a big previous legacy cost of business. Tesla has now said, not only can we sell you a car, but we could service it at our locations and do body repair at our locations. The Tesla bodywork is concerning because it's an expensive vehicle and you tend to not want your typical body shop doing it versus a Tesla body shop only because of eh, vanity. So Tesla says they can do it. Remember a couple of years ago, Tesla Tesla said a lot of stupid things through the years. I, I guess that should be the title of the segment. Tesla says a lot. What do they deliver on? Well, they delivered on the ability to repair bodywork in Tesla store, service centers. That's a plus. But some areas where they passed on was a couple of years ago, probably like seven years ago, when Tesla really started selling vehicles, they said, we will buy your Tesla back at the exact price you paid for it three years later if you want us to. So it was like a three-year guarantee that it would hold its value, which is unheard of in the automobile industry. They never really honored that. Tesla said a couple of years ago, and when I say a couple, I should probably say five to seven. We could sell insurance. We could sell Tesla insurance better than anyone else can because we'll be able to repair the vehicles ourselves. Now they're starting to get there. 
Remember when Amazon says things like, we sell books and CDs. Oh, and by the way, we can get groceries there too. Oh, and by the way, we can get pills, your pharmaceuticals. That vertical of instead of just things that you don't really need, books and CDs, to things that you really need, food, to things that you have to have, pharmaceuticals, is a vertically driven business model. And Wall Street loves it because we've never, ever seen anything like it. In the case of Amazon, we're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. They're going to start offering health care to their own employees because they're starting offering drug deliveries to you and me, the customer. Wait, 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 wait. Are you kidding me? They're one of the largest employers in the nation. They're going to be doing their self-insuring. The answer is yes. Other companies will follow. Down the road, I totally expect Amazon to start a for-profit university with, in the short term, how do they get people to work for the company, offering them free education? And then how do we get the people that don't want to work for the company forever working for the company, offering them discount education? How do we get the rest of America involved education? If telemedicine takes off, teleeducation will take off. Is the idea, and I'm not speaking for Amazon when I say that, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Sitting in for CFP, Chad Burton. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. It's really easy to talk about the fun, sexy things in the stock market. When things are going well, when you're in a long-term uptrend. Um, it's not so fun talking about the stock market in a market correction. It's not so much fun talking about financial planning issues, which we're about to talk about right now. CFP Chad Burton is joining me now. Mr. Burton, let's talk a little bit of the finality of the end game, death and financial planning. Um, as you know, I recently uh, had my mother pass and it's shocking how much you get refreshed per se in the process of going through financial documents of, oh yeah, you gotta do this. Oh yeah, you gotta do that. Uh, let's talk about what to do when a parent passes from a financial planner perspective. What you got for me today, Chad? Well, yeah, the, the steps, and that's just more and more. I, I kind of started the career 26 years ago with my grandfather, and so well, he had a lot of older clients, so I dealt with this really early on. And it's kind of like you go through these cycles of it, and we have a lot of baby boomer clients that are dealing with, the, with their parents too. And the, the first pe- thing people ask is, do you have a checklist? Which, yeah, we do because we go through this situation quite often. Um, and is there anything urgent? Uh, people ask about Social Security. What about that? Because people are getting Social Security checks, right, Rob? Well, the funeral home usually notifies Social Security. So that's one thing to note. Okay. And the other thing to note is that if the person was married, the smaller check goes away and the bigger check stays with the survivor. The issues that can occur when the survivor was receiving a government pension, then Social Security can change a little bit. But that's the first thing that happens is the notification of Social Security typically and then is the person receiving any other type of pension? And what are those survivor benefits? But 
some more, even more immediate issues, Rob, is, is what about pets? Does a person have a pet? Is there a plan for who's going to take care of the pet? You got to get a declaration of death, especially if somebody passed away at home. Um, and another immediate thing <clears throat> to deal with is finding out what the burial plan is. Is it a burial? Is it a cremation? Um, and, and getting that process going. And that's probably some, one of the most difficult parts is somebody's grieving, trying to deal with those types of issues. And then, of course, there's securing the person's property, you know, making sure that the house is secure, the vehicles are secure, things like that. And when you are at the funeral mm-hmm. home, I suggest typically 15 death certificates. I've heard the number is about 10, but I always find people need more, and they're not that expensive. So because you might find assets to deal with later on as you're trying to settle the estate, that you might need those death certificates. That is so um, weird. And yeah, it's, it's, there, there, there's a lot, and you're trying to grieve and deal with all these different issues. But um, I'd say these days the thing I'm seeing more and more of is the, the pet issue. There's a lot of people that have pets, and so um, that's, that's kind of a reminder for people to put a couple of things in their will. One is pets, what to do with the pets. Okay. And number two is digital assets. What about the social media accounts, right? Oh, my. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to worry about that with my mother, but – your kids are going to have to worry about it with you in theory, if that makes more sense uh, as it gets bigger and bigger. Even things like um, your Apple Music and stuff that you bought, all the Star Wars movies that you purchased on iTunes all those years ago. And uh, what do you do with those and who owns those upon death? Uh, I have a brother, Clint, right now who instantly asked me and my brother. My brother Dave's an attorney, so he's doing the state planning part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, he instantly said, hey, how much am I going to get? <laughs> and my brother Dave's like, screw off. We will let you know in 2021. And he was, he was upset about 2021. He's 2022. Uh, he was all upset about it because he's like, we have to pay the taxes. She died in 2021. So it's going to be a while before everything settles and already things are off to a bumpy start. Yeah. I mean, typically if you're trying to look at some sort of a big picture timeline, even if a person mm-hmm. has a trust and there's no probate, it's six to nine months and it could be longer if there's a will. Where, where if it's a, a state over, let's say, 30 grand and you're going to go with a will, which yeah. all that is is a letter to the probate court, you're typically looking at, on average, I think, 9 to 12 months minimum. And things are taking longer right now because of COVID and court shutdowns. And you got to get a good attorney to help on the probate side. I've got one client situation right now, Rob, where they're, they're going to receive a large inheritance from a state, and the paralegal is acting like it's her estate and won't even give a list of assets. And I'm like, I'm bewildered. This is just an email I got this morning. I'm just like, okay, who's the client here? Um, but you know, going back to kind of like big picture stuff, yeah. um, the process, if you do have to build a team, once you get past kind of the, the burial and, and the securing the property and, and things like that, you do have to build a team. You're going to want an attorney, if, especially if it's a probate issue, which means you died without a living trust or, or if accounts don't have beneficiaries on it. Okay. Um, and you, you need a CPA and in many cases, a good financial advisor, certified financial planner. And so you got to gather up all the assets, the liabilities, the income sources, how are they titled? It's really making a list and accumulating all this paperwork. And one of the more immediate things is often notifying all insurance companies. If they had had life insurance or long-term care insurance, a lot of times the life insurance or annuities will pay the beneficiaries directly without probate. And so that's kind of one process that happens outside of the, the court. Um, the CPA 
and, or in some cases that the attorney, you got to ask which one do you want to, you get the attorney first and typically ask them, are you going to ask for the estate tax ID? Because when somebody passes, you have to get an estate tax ID and then funnel all of the assets into, into a new account under the new tax ID number, because you have a situation where the person has a final tax return personally, and then their estate is going to have a tax return as well. And so everything kind of ends up funneling into a new estate account that's unless it's a retirement account. And then you go through all these final processes and then that's when you can distribute it. Um, All debts need to be paid off before the money's distributed. The final tax return needs to be distributed. In many cases, the file an estate tax return, which is a 706. And um, so, like I said, six to nine months or longer if probate occurs. And that's why especially people in California need a living trust to help reduce that time frame. It's fascinating, Chad, because you and I, have, we've seen some of the, the craziest stuff that happens upon death. Uh, you had an aunt or somebody take a ring off of a dead person, dead family member. And it's like that one. She promised it to me. A man, we've done that story so many times on radio and a friend of mine in radio um, his mom, uh, his mother-in-law just passed. No will, <laughs> only one daughter. So in her head, she's like, I don't need an attorney. I only have one daughter. Right. It's all going to go to her. There's, and I'm like, ooh, you, you, it's going to be a long, expensive process to uh, pass that one on, so to speak. But we'll talk about seen some crazy the, stuff. the state that I was telling you about before that yeah. the, the, the uh, paralegal is acting like, no, I'm not going to give you a spreadsheet. Not until probate's over. It's like I've never dealt with something like that. Well, the couple that died, they actually had a trust, but they didn't put – many of their assets were not properly titled to their living trust. So essentially, it threw them into probate. Okay. Um, and so there's the, the, if you're going to do a living trust, you've got to make sure assets are titled correctly and beneficiaries are correct. And I have no clue how to do that, so I have to hire someone, right? Uh, yeah, I mean in many cases, but it's part of an individual's own estate plan. And a lot of people ask too – okay, mom passed away, um, dad passed away a long time ago, what do I do with the IRA? Right? Okay. That's a big, that's totally different because typically if there's a beneficiary on the IRA, it's not going to go through probate. If they had an IRA where they over age 70 and a half for required minimum distributions, now that's age 72, but th- that's where it can get complicated because if they haven't taken the required minimum distribution for the year, the beneficiaries have to take it. And then if you want, Rob, if you want to receive your mom's IRA, and let's okay. say her IRA was at Schwab. You have to open an inherited IRA account. Your share will go into that inherited IRA account. And then that's when you can transfer it to whatever custodian you want, an inherited IRA at TD, an inherited IRA at Fidelity. Um, you got to go through that process. And that is a process. So I think to kind of put a ribbon on this, so to speak, um, having a well-planned out death makes a lot of sense because what you're saying sounds very complicated. Um, I'm not in that situation where my mom had an IRA, like she was living off my dad's pension. Uh, but I'd rather mourn right now than try to figure out distributions on IRAs. Um, and so itemizing everything and having an inventory and working with people like you who've been through this process numerous times, like I didn't do that about 15 death certificates and something that it just came to my head, Chad, um, we met, or I met my spouse because her husband passed, and you talked to her, and you were able to find life insurance that she didn't even know she had because she worked. Her husband had worked at Apple, um, so I guess I got to say thanks for that. But uh, 
helping me. Well, that's the, another final thing that people do too these days is have to go to the state agencies to, that where anybody lived. Every state has a lost assets. Okay. Um, and we find stuff all the time. And the 15 death certificates, because I find older people often buy individual stock certificates, and, and those are a pain to deal oh. with. Please, if anybody has individual stock certificates or directly held stocks, get them into a brokerage account like a Schwab or Fidelity. Um, and finally, before we run out of time, Rob, a big question that people always ask is, am I going to pay inheritance tax? And the answer is no, really, because what happens is it's called a state tax, and that's only if you're over 11.7 million single or 23.4 million married. Okay. And um, that happens at the estate level, the estate tax return, before it goes to the beneficiaries. So that's, that's a common question that people ask. Good stuff. Thanks for joining me, CFP Chad Burton. We're talking about an unpleasant topic, death. We're trying to personalize it as best as we can and to kind of set up some reminders that working with a team is probably the right approach, um, especially if it's a sizable asset, but also being prepared for it. Uh, I can't tell you how many people know that they're in the last three years of their life and they don't get any organization put to place. They don't get any team members laid down. Um, it's a stressful time and there's a lot of big financial decisions on it. You can find CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. It's C-H-A-D-B-U-R-T-O-N.com. It's chadburton.com. I'm Rob Black.